Hi, everyone. You're listening to the DMBA podcast, where we share business confidence with designers. My name is Alan. I'm a business designer and founder of the DMBA program. So today, it's a very exciting time because we will actually record the first ever guesstimation challenge on this podcast. So actually, it's a game in which we try to make fast estimations with very little data. Uh, for example, a question could be, how many miles of highway does a UK have? which was actually a practice question we just had with Martina and Brian before we went into recording. Um, so basically what we do with this type of question, we give the two players um, basically a chance, two and a half minutes to try to estimate the exact number and try to get as close to the correct number without doing any research or uh, using any resources. So they can only use their calculator, pen and paper, and that's it. Um, so... This game basically imitates a real-world scenario uh, on projects where we sometimes need to estimate certain numbers with very little data, and that helps us understand better the viability or feasibility aspect of our projects. Things like understanding the size of competitors, things like understanding the potential revenue for certain products or services, and so on. We'll talk more about that also a bit later during the game. Um, so... Players will hear a guesstimation question and each of them will prepare their estimate. And the one who will get closer to the correct answer will get 10 points and we'll play four rounds of estimates. So in each round, 10 points are available, but uh, both of them can also ask for a clue. Uh, so if they ask for a clue, they can only win four points. That's the maximum because they have an advantage, informational advantage over their opponent. So there's also a little bit of strategy involved here. Um, and in the end, the one with more points will win. But that's not the point. The point is that we learn how to do the rapid estimations. So now let's beat our contenders today. Brian, Martina, welcome. Hello. Hi. Maybe just to kick off things, quickly introduce yourself. I'll let Martina go first. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Uh, so I'm Martina, I'm innovation consultant. I spent a couple of years at Daimler as innovation team lead, team lead at the Daimler Innovation Lab and um, also spent some time at McKinsey and right now I'm uh, freelancing, I'm advising startups uh, how to be more customer-centered uh, in their innovation endeavors and thank you so much for having me, Alan. It's a pleasure, pleasure to host you. Hey everyone, I'm Brian Wong. I'm part of Fjord, uh, Toronto, Canada, as well as Accenture, uh, serving as a business designer. Um, I spent my time sort of in the design world first and moving into innovation and strategy fields across the health and insurance industry. And I'm also part of the DMBA program as a mentor and I'm excited and appreciated to the to play this game. <laughs> yes, actually both Brian and Martina are also mentors in the DMBA program uh, where they help DMBAers gain business confidence uh, through by providing feedback and guiding them through the program, which also reminds me that the applications for the upcoming DMBA are open right now. So the next program starts on March 1st. And if you're looking to gain business skills relevant for designers, have a look at d.mba slash course or you can also apply on d.mba slash apply. But now let's get into the game. 
Um, so I prepared four challenges. We'll play four rounds. As I said before, each of you will get, um, yeah, both of you will get two and a half minutes, 150 seconds. And during that time, you can raise your hand and ask for a clue. Um, good. Let's go to the first question, which is a little bit more businessy. Um, so to kick to kick off maybe something that you will find more close to your home. Okay. So what is an average daily revenue for a McDonald's restaurant, assuming all restaurants work every day of the year? So let me repeat this. What is an average daily revenue of an average McDonald's restaurant? That's basically a question. And let's just assume all of them work um, throughout the year, every day. So I will drop this question also in chat so you can have a look at it. But let me know if you need any clarification or if it's already clear. To be specific, we're talking about a restaurant, not all restaurants, a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. We're looking at one restaurant and what is its daily average revenue? I would uh, wonder where is this? Uh, where is uh, the restaurant located? This is an average, so it doesn't like, really matter. So global uh, across all everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So McDonald's has thousands of restaurants. Yeah. So this is just an average. Okay, yeah. that's an interesting. Uh, that's going to be interesting to know. All right. Yeah. Let's. Let's play then. Okay. I give you two and a half minutes. Starts now. Okay. So Brian and Martina both have shared their answer with me in the chat. So this is now set in stone. So before we go into the result, both of them will now explain how they got to the result because this is the thing we want to learn about. How do you get to these estimations? So, uh, Brian, do you want to go first? Your estimate was $12,000 is an average daily revenue for an average McDonald's restaurant. Sure. Um, I went bottom up. Um, I thought about how much people spend on an average order, and I got to $7 because there's a lot of people that buy just coffees and a lot of just one burger, but then there's people that buy combos on the higher side. So I just took straight in the middle, just say, let's say $7. I looked at operational capacity of it takes three minutes per order, whether it's a cashier or whatever at a drive-through. So I calculate that within the hour, what someone could serve on that basis. So they could serve 20 customers per every three minutes. So that brings it to, um, what was it? $140 per cashier. I multiplied that by four, assuming there's three cashiers plus the drive-thru. That got me to $560 um, per An hour. hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that enabled me, uh, yeah, 140. So times four, that's $560 per hour as far as operational capability. Not every McDonald's is 24 hours, but a lot of them are open to like 1 or 2 a.m. So I assumed 18 hours a day because they got it for some McDonald's, they clean or for smaller cities, they just close. They don't run 24 mm-hmm. hours. So that came up to 10,000. Um, and then I did, you know, thinking about additional revenue stream of partnership models, local advertising, just any type of random bonus <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> added 2K. 
okay. and that got me to 12. Okay, so every day 12K. So this would be in a month, roughly 36K, right? Yeah. Uh, 360K, yeah. Good. And now, Martina, how did you get to your... So first of all, what is your number and how did you get to it? Yeah, okay. Uh, I uh, I didn't... Uh, this is my number. Okay, uh, 11,520. <laughs> I uh, got to... So my uh, this was a challenge for me because I don't usually go to McDonald's. Um, but actually, this summer, I've been to McDonald's in a German highway. <laughs> and this is my my math so i did um, estimate they have four counters and they have taken order each counter every four minutes and the order is average 12 euros and they're open from six in the morning to 10 in the evening i i really this and this comes to 16 hours 960 minutes 240 orders per day times 12 euros times four and it comes to 11,520. So Brian has $12,000 per day and you, Martina, again, 11,520, right? Yeah. Yes. Very, okay. very close. <laughs> yes, very, very close, which is actually quite unusual. But uh, when you're right, you're right. But actually, you're not, but okay. So according to <laughs> McDonald's 2019 annual report, the whole company made 21 billion in revenue. Yeah. Now they have 38,500 restaurants. So if you divide 21 billion with 38,500 restaurants, you get an average yearly revenue per restaurant of 500. So r- roughly half a million in revenue per average restaurant. And now if we further divide these with 365 days, we actually get to a much lower number, which is $1,500. So according to the annual report and with using these simple numbers, you will get to 1,493. So Martina, you win the first round. You were closer. (laughs) So you see that sometimes if you have zero data, it just becomes super hard to, to get close to that number. So what you, both of you would usually do if you would actually do this for real life, how would you adjust this approach to actually get to a better number? Well, I think it's really interesting. Like, I mean, it just really speaks to the fact of like how much of a difference you can do when you have certain figures not given to you, but that you can find, right? I mean, in this case, in the game, it's like... <laughs> We didn't have a number to start with, so we're thinking granular, like what we what we know, we don't know. Like we yeah. know that there's cashiers, we know maybe what people spend, but thinking about factually, like the global number, or even how many restaurants there are in a certain given country, or whatever, is is a yeah. different uh, approach that we could take, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I was just thinking in the, the beginning, between difference between urban McDonald's and rural McDonald's. You know, there is uh, now McDonald's in my hometown in Croatia, and I've I, I never been there also, but I'm sure they, they just can't, for, with, with my hometown of like, you know, 35,000 people, they cannot serve four counters every four minutes, like they do on the highway in the rush hour in the, in the summer or, you know, in New York. So this is, uh, I think this would make a very big difference. 
And I think that's always like when you too much average, it's, 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 it makes it even harder to, to estimate. Uh, uh, unlike if you were looking at some analog experience and then you're just trying to replicate something that you already know. Mm, yeah, that's right. So maybe for the second one, for the second challenge, I will actually bake the clue into the question. So both of you can't get the clue. You both will, you will be part of the question. So you have at least one data point to work with. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah. Okay. Good. So let's move to the second question, second challenge. So Norway is a country with the highest percentage of electric cars on the roads. Okay. So they have the most, uh, relatively speaking, the most electric cars. Now you have to estimate what is the percentage. So out of all passenger cars, I'm repeating passenger cars, how many are electric? So fully electric. So we, ex we are excluding hybrid cars. We want to look at fully electric cars like Tesla um, and similar brands. And the question is, what is the percentage, right? What is the ratio? And I promised you one data point. So um, I will give you the clue, which is basically that in 2019, there were 268,000 fully electric cars in Norway. So I will put both in the chat and you have... 150 seconds counting from now. Okay, so Martina said 22%, Brian said 13%. So uh, Martina, do you wanna explain how you got to 22%? Uh, yes, um, also uh, kind of uh, more, more uh, uh, randomness included in this guesstimation. So um, I know, uh, or I don't know, I think Sweden has like 8 million people. And therefore, I would say Norway is bigger. So it has 10 to 12 million people. And I would say um, half of the people have cars, plus like more than half of the people have cars. Uh, because you count also the elderly and the people younger than 18. So uh, then I went a little bit like, uh, uh, yeah, this is a big, big, there's probably more cars than 2019. And like when you say a lot of cars, it's probably more than, that yeah, sounds to me like 22%. <laughs> if i understand you correctly what you try to figure out is what are the what is the total number of cars on the road so you could then uh divide it with uh 260 which is the number of electric cars right yeah yeah like that uh, yes i was trying to understand what's the total number of cars so i was trying yeah. to go, go there like mathematically but yeah. also do like some kind of sound check that's like yeah with the number, does it make sense? Yeah. Sometimes you get the number and it's like, doesn't sound yeah. reasonable. So usually what you do is you even do two different approaches just to do the check of the number itself, right? Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting, uh, I will tell you this right away, is that actually Norway has, uh, like the population of Norway is smaller than that of Sweden. It is actually 5.4 million. Wow. Uh, and this... Let's see how it shows up in the end in the result. So off to you, Brian. 
So I'd like to first say that I've never been to Norway, but I'd like to. <laughs> um, my perception of Norway in movies is that it's <laughs> terrible answer already. Terrible way to start. <laughs> is that it's a more um, country that's sprawled out. It's not a metropolitan. So I think there's going to be a lot of driving as far as getting to A to B. It's not like you can walk everywhere and drive. Before I get into that, first off, I actually underestimated the 5.5 you just mentioned. Is that correct, Alex? Four. Yeah, yeah. So I went with 4.5. Okay. Um, and then I looked at the idea of like, well, everyone's got to drive because everything's sparse. So I estimated 70% of that population has a vehicle or has mm -hmm. access to that vehicle or sorry, household. That brought me to 315 million. Uh, the number that you gave me, the 268K who has cars, I divided that within the 3.15 million. Mm -hmm. That took me to 11.7 percentage of the automobiles on the road or mm -hmm. owned are uh, electric. That was in 2019 to our state today, based off of my rationale of how the global electric car economy is growing. It's still mm -hmm. slow. The adoption is mm -hmm. still slow when it comes to fully electric. The other big factor is um, income power to afford those vehicles. Now, I'm not sure what the median is in Norway, but I'm assuming because it's a smaller country, the, the higher class income opportunities are going to be a little less than a lot of the big countries who are very much developed and economically designed to have more high income jobs. So I took that into account. So I gave it a small fraction of just a little bit of growth. I came up to 13% in, 13 in today versus 11.7 in 2019. Cool. So um, yeah, I mean, you're totally right that actually Norway has a lot of even uh, tax cuts for electric cars. That's why I have the the best and the highest adoption. Like for example, you don't have to pay a VAT on a car. And mind you, VAT in Norway is gigantic, 25%. So that's a huge, huge saving. Um, and that drives also this together with some other um, tax benefits drives also the adoption. Um, yeah, to get to your answer. So um, I also have the percentage for 2019. So actually, Brian, you may be more right than what I have here. But what I have here is that in 2019, there were 2.8 million passenger cars in Norway, which would give us basically 9.5% of electric vehicles. So let's say roughly 10%, right? Mm -hmm. Amazing. So now we have one to one win, right? So both of you have 10 points. Woo! This is going to be exciting. It's going to be a battle. I like it. What I, what I really find interesting about these first two examples is that you both took the bottom-up approach for the first one, and now you both took the top-down. So just for the listeners, the difference is that sometimes when you're estimating, you can either start with a very large number and work your way down, or the other way is you start with a small, very specific thing you're more comfortable with, and then work your way up. So like in this case, we started with the population, which... Also, Brian and Martin, Martina didn't know, but at least they could estimate it pretty accurately. And then from there, we worked our way down to the cars. And with the McDonald's, we actually started with, okay, how much does one person spend? 
how many individuals can we serve? And then through that, we got to the number. Um, so these are basically the two options we usually use, right? And depending on the case, uh, then you choose which one is more appropriate. Good. So ready to go into the third one, or do you have any comments about using also this stuff? Any Anything you wanted to share? No, I'm ready. Yeah? And excited. Yeah. Okay. Good. So this one is a little bit more digital and it can be useful also for, let's say, if I'm designing a process or if I'm designing feasibility of my uh, product, I'm trying to understand what is the bandwidth of my product. Okay. So the question is, how many search queries does Google have? Does Google need to process every second? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I will give you one help. A clue. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one is, it may may not be the best clue, but let's try it. So every hour, there is roughly one search for every inhabitant of Russia. So we're, the answer is search queries globally, but you're giving us Russia as a, as a, as a identifier. So the clue has basically is not like related directly to the result. So clue is more um, an hourly number. So an hourly number is basically um, almost the same as the population of Russia. So if you can estimate that, then you can get to the um, per second. Right. But the answer is the actual question, though, is global amount. Yes, global. Okay. So how many search queries does Google need to process every second globally in total? I can also tell you maybe another clue that's more related to, since we changed the way we do clues, I think it's more uh, fair if I give you something that's closer to the case itself. So um, Google basically is being used by almost 90% of all the internet users and there are 4.4 4 billion of them. So Martina's answer is 1 million. And we're still waiting for Brian. Give me one second. You know how many search <laughs> queries Google has to do in this second? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Brian, you wrote 42. Is this 42, 42 or like thousands or millions or? Million. Million. Okay. So we have 1 million and 42 million. Uh, so this is per second search queries. So Martina, since you posted your answer first, do you want to explain how you got to a million? So yeah, one of the clue was that there's 4.4 billion internet uh, users, 90% of them are Google users. Mm-hmm. And um, then uh, that for every hour, one search is performed for every inhabitant of Russia. And that seemed to me like a, like a good, uh, like I see uh, generally this 4.4 billion users. Some of them are very active users, mm-hmm. like power users, and the other ones are passive users. They might not use the, like the differences might be very large. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought, does this make sense? How much do I, for example, search? How much do some people that I know search? And keeping in mind that Google search is also knowledge, but also maps and books. Uh, like sometimes you perform many different searches one after the other. Anyways, I, to me, from what, like if I compare people, who, the passive users and very active users, one search per hour made sense and this comes when you divide it all together one million per second okay cool and you brian so you said 42 million i think i really uh was off on this one my calculation went wrong at the end but i can explain my logic so i started off thinking about just global population so i went top down so I assume there's 8 billion people in the world. And then I cheated. I look at a geography map as I had it open and I just roughly guessed how many people live in Russia of that. I guessed around 250 million considering it's a big country. Uh, and then out of that 250 million, I converted an hour uh, into seconds. And that's so 60 minutes divided, you know, with the 60 seconds, that's 3,600 seconds. Um, so for the population of Russia, that came up to 55K searches per second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is where I came wrong, but I was trying to assume... Russia's population of 55K with the rest of the global population. Granted, there are people who don't have internet or phones or people aren't searching everywhere. But then assuming that the, the, one, the 250 mil percentage of that 8 billion, that 55K, I just factored it up, went wild and just assumed the total would mm-hmm. be 42 million. I think you just misunderstood the clue. So you, you actually were very close with the 55K. Because the clue was meant as in, uh, so the end result is very close to as if every inhabitant of Russia would use, uh, would do one search on Google per hour, right? And this would give you roughly 55K. And then what you yeah. did is you actually tried to extrapolate this to the whole world, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I also sent you in the wrong direction with the clue because of Russia. And then you thought this is geography and I, we have to extrapolate um, so yeah, the, the right answer is somewhere between 40,000 and 60,000, uh, per second search queries. So 40 to 60 K wow. not in the millions. So each day on Google, you have roughly 3.5 billion search queries. And now to get to our per second number, we basically have to divide it with the number of seconds in a day, which is somewhere around 80,000. So 86,400 right right yeah that one yeah i think maybe the way i gave you the clue sent in the wrong direction which is also part of the process <laughs> sometimes <laughs> in the process you find a really weird number and just sends you in the wrong direction um yeah by the way like uh google's closest competitor bing um has 2300 um search queries per second that is as of March 2019. 
Good. So I guess who wins this one? Martina, you were way closer actually. By a landslide. It's not about being right, just being closer. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But you see how even one data point, additional data point that you would have would just completely change the whole thing. And also maybe the way I said the question just sends you in the wrong direction and then you extrapolate it uh, differently. But what I want to uh, just emphasize on is that the, the process you both took is still valid, right? It's yeah. just that you were working with such a bad assumptions that you got to, you know, different numbers than... Um, if you just put one or two correct numbers in this process, you would get to a much closer number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say if you just delete one or two zeros. <laughs> 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 Brian is going to be pretty right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I, I thought when I saw 42 in the chat that you mean thousands. I'm like, okay, this is very close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay. Yeah. yeah. But I think this is the process also that you kind of, that, I mean, this is the, prototyping part you don't know then you put something together you have a prototype then you check it and validate it doesn't make sense put some find some more information make a more uh, higher fidelity prototype and of course you go to the distance that you need for the project yeah so. oh, but that's a great point martina so when you would land on one million what's the next step you would take to check this number uh, I would try to find like uh, more like so I have this information about Russia so I would try to find more how exact how many inhabitants there are in Russia and then I would try to derive some some like uh, uh, hard data some like actual number like a fact from this and yeah. put it into this whole equation uh, but also I always like to like uh, uh, also on the end you know just check from from the other direction if you say top down bottom up like does it make sense from the other direction uh you know in 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 looking together you know in my life and then like multiplied by uh three three billion uh nine yeah Yeah, so yeah i think this is one of those interesting scenarios i think based off of the data we were given you know we just tried to do population data but I don't think this would be the right way to do it, but just give me a different perspective. Like, it's interesting if you look at the human side of this, like I was thinking like, well, I Google things like three, four, five times an hour. Yeah. And it's interesting when you think about like, that's a person, but then you have corporate functions and research functions where they're Googling a lot of data per hour. Right. So yeah. It may even be automated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, but this this is the point of this rapid estimation is that you uncover these factors that go into then designing the solution. It's many times not even about the number. It's more about you think about these things. Oh, they're corporations. They are Googling more or there is, uh, you know, is Canada or Germany really representative of how much people Google, um, etc. So these are like the fact, this is what I personally find really interesting about these numerical prototypes is like not even the number, but just the factors that go into um, the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sure. I think this also discussion, like we, we just like had this very little information and now in this talk, you know, like a couple of minutes that we're talking, we are already uncovering so much, uh, yeah, so much opportunities for, for us to research further and you can, we can even do some interviews, you know, and tr- put some trackers, you know, 
track people on the web. <laughs> try. Ethically. Good. Let's get to the last one. And here I actually give you some more, uh, <laughs> some more data. Yeah. Because I just see it's super hard, um, super hard, even with more data. Okay. So this one, I think you can look at it from perspective of what if I'm trying to, what if I have an idea and I'm trying to understand how many people I could, uh, are potentially interested in such an idea. So we will travel to Japan from Russia to Japan. So the question is how many cats, so pet cats are there in Japan? Okay, so not street cats, but actually pets register. Um, if we know that Japan's population is 120, 126 and a half million as of 2018, but just use this number as if it's still correct. So 126.5 million is the population of Japan. And the question is how many cats, so pet cats, are there in Japan? And I will give you one more data point, okay? I will give you the data point of dogs, how many dogs there are in Japan, okay? <laughs> so there are 8.9 million pet dogs in Japan. So let me just repeat this again. So we have 126 million people in Japan. There are roughly 9 million dogs. The question is how many cats are there? Let's just imagine we're trying to build something for cat owners and we want to estimate this number. We can't find it online. We need to estimate it. So Brian, Martina, you have two and a half minutes. Go. Oh, we are very close. Ooh, okay. So We're very close. Martina said 5.5 million kitties. And then we have Brian with 5.9 million. So let's start actually the discussion with... Uh, Martina, you, but you have to start off if, first if you're a dog or a cat person. Oh, I am a dog person. <laughs> but I like cats also, but only my cats, not other people's cats. That, that explains why you uh, said that there's less cats than dogs, right? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wrote this down. There's like cultural thing I'm interested in and personal bias. Mm -hmm. so, so how yeah. did you get to the 5.5 million? So actually, for me, this uh, thinking about this, uh, the uh, it was more like the most important information was how many dogs there are, and then uh, from this I calculated that I, I I was I tried to make some kind of ratio of how many dogs per cat or cat per dog, uh, which again, if you're asking me about my culture, I would have been much better at guessing than a Japanese mm -hmm. culture, which I don't know. And I'm not aware of some, in some countries, like I lived in Israel, there's many more cats. In some countries, people, are, there's more dogs. Um, so I don't know, but yet I, I estimated that there's uh, two thirds uh, cats for every dog. And then I lowered it a little bit, <laughs> probably because of <laughs> me being a dog person. Uh, okay. uh, or I just thought like, no, I was thinking like, remember when you saw like something Japanese with a cat and only pictures with small dogs popped up. Uh, so yeah, this is how I uh, very scientifically came to my conclusion. 5.5. Good. You, Brian, dog or a cat person? I'm going to go with dog. <laughs> um, and 
you know, you gave us the pop. I started off with the population of Japan, the number that you gave us. And I actually think uh, um, Martina's uh, process was actually very valid as well. But I took the population data to look at taking a guess culturally, but just the nature of people there too, just working as a big culture. And it's very hard to manage working a lot in the hours you work with having a pet, like going home all the time. So I did a ratio of like, I think one out of eight people have a pet. Um, so that gives me a total market size of 15.8 million people with any type of pet. Um, if 8.9 are dogs, that actually makes sense because dogs are one of the more popular pets and they're going to dominate a big percentage of that market. So what I have left over is 6.9 million. And to get to cats, what I did was not assume how many cats there are. I assumed how many other random pets people have, whether it's a hamster or a snake, snake. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The snake people. I, um, so I just gave them a nice number of 1 million people. And then that got me down to 5.9. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think I would get to a very, very similar number if I were in your position, but it turns out that Japanese are cat people, (laughs) more of them like cats than dogs, at least there are more cats than dogs. So actually the correct number is uh, 9.6 million cats. Uh, so altogether you have 18.5 million, uh, dogs and cats. So your number, Brian, with 15 million pets was actually pretty close, right? Um, it's just that they have more cats and dogs. So if you had this additional data, then you could do even more, right? If you knew that Japanese were. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like all the past exercises and guesstimations we did were just on numbers, but I think Martina and myself this time, like our gap was the cultural understanding. Mm-hmm. And now that when I look back on it, like, for example, 15.8 as the total market size, if I had a perspective on how much there are cats or it's the most dominant pet, then I would have factored up on just who takes the market, mm-hmm. right? I'm just looking up where the Hello Kitty is from. Um, it's from Japan. Yeah, yeah. That could be one clue. There you go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the power of Google, right? It helps you give these small hints to then get, lead you into the right direction or the wrong one. Yes. How many times, <laughs> yeah, how many times, I'm really curious, do you in your process come across conflicting data? Like you already calculate something based on finding, oh, there's actually more dogs than cats. And then you find another article saying, actually, there are more cats than dogs. And how do you reconcile that in your process? Often. <laughs> I mean, mostly what I come across is uh, uh, so I work with uh, uh, qualitative researchers uh, who do some type of uh, uh, survey and uh, with a large number of participants. And then I do the quantitative one, uh, the qualitative one, sorry. And then we have different uh, insights. And here uh, often, you know, we come to, yeah, um, yeah, very different, underst- very different insights about the person, but of course, or about the people, 
Uh, but of course, uh, depends a lot how you ask questions, which can be very misleading in the uh, uh, qualitative uh, mm. surveys, yeah. And also in quantitative, if you uh, sorry, quantitative, if you are asking leading questions or things like that. I think you know, being part of um, being a business designer, like I think the struggle most of the time is that some of our wacky ideas or just new markets are just so unfounded or unknown. So it's not so much getting the right number. It's like you yourself uh, feel like you're digging into new ground. And a lot of times you're making up new numbers, right? So getting to the point of numbers of like what is most realistic or have some form of sanity, I think that's the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. I think proving that out, you know, is a very difficult process. And, you know, like Martina mentioned, you can do surveys on all those different facets, but a lot of the times it's like yielding a very traditional number. Yeah. But even that traditional number is ironic because you're trying to create a new market, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's this like beautiful delicacy of not just justification, but ultimately like figuring out what is actually driving that change or what is the change driver and using that as you know the proof to get to your number of taking an old number to this is what it is today or what the new market looks like so yeah especially when it's new markets new products yeah. new services that's tricky and then that that's the trickiest case you usually then start just with bottom up but then try to look at the closest competitors uh and see if their volume is kind of close to what you're looking at or not but you may you may still be off because you're creating a market right um yeah. so yeah sorry martina go ahead no exactly because you're in the process of creating it and in the same time kind of testing it so you're also influencing the market by itself by by doing the this testing or validation so I think mm -hmm. it's a very sensitive thing uh, not to get uh, this comfort in data, you know, to think like, oh, I did the survey and, you know, 70% of the people would buy this product, you know, which means not a lot. Uh, so I think uh, finding this fine tuning of which kind of data you're actually looking and how to, like, what can you use for, for your benefit or for creation of this new product and what you don't want to use being very aware of kind of like the quality of information that mm -hmm. you're taking into. I think it's very important. So what we've done to date may almost feel like, Hey, you just came up with some random numbers and like, how can this be beneficial? What would you, what would your response be to a person saying that? Martina, do you want to go first? <laughs> I, I would say, um, yeah, just like, um, that we're practicing iterative approach uh, of, uh, you know, hypothesis-driven design or uh, prototyping and testing. And this is our first hypothesis that we came up in this very short time uh, from the information that we had. And now we're going to test it and put it out and get new, new, new inputs. And of course, as first one is not uh, uh, the most precise one, but is, it starts to be a tool for us to test an idea uh, or our product or or service uh, so this is the starting point and after some time we're going to have a much higher fidelity of our prototype and 
It's a very way, very nice way to put it because also when you draw the first logo, it's like, you know, in three minutes, what can you do? You can just sketch something very, very, very high level. It's the same here, right? We just got the feeling for the boundaries. We don't know what's inside, but the boundaries have started to emerge, which is part of the process. Yeah. Yeah, we're actually just defining the, we're still in the problem space. We're defining the problem. We're not even getting to the solution. So this help us, helps us define where these limits of the problem space are, how far we want to go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of power in iteration. I think mindset-wise, um, just entering the mindset of like, I'm okay with being wrong. I want to be proved wrong until we get it right. You know, so I think that's sort of the, the mindset. But I think tactically speaking, um, when you look at a very, you know, design-based focused outside of numbers, just the idea of making and generating, you can, if we took an example of like draw 10 cars and they all have to be different, you would draw 10 really different cars. You might draw a spark car. You might draw one that's realistic. You might draw one that looks like the Flintstones and eventually you got 10 cars that look completely different and you can think about all the different ones that you created, right? So going back to the numbers piece, if you can iterate, not just variations that are similar, the variations, or sorry, ones that are completely different uh, that fall on various parts of a spectrum, then that's, you know, the point where you can prioritize, you can define what are ones that are more realistic and not, and really get down to what is the most realistic one. Yeah, it kind of leads you through the funnel of finding the the numbers are more reliable. Um, good. Well, I have to declare the winner, which is today no one, right? It's a draw. It's a very <laughs> fair draw. <laughs> you both did great. Um, I, I think we also through the process, since we're doing this for the first time, we saw that maybe we need to give out more data in the beginning because then it kind of puts you in the in a better position to 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 be to even have a better thought process of how you get to the to the number. Um, so yeah, thanks both for uh, the courage to show up to to be <laughs> to uh, to test this out and um, yeah, maybe we do it again. Yes, Absolutely. thank you, Brian thank and you. Alan. Thank you about this. It was a blast. So thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this episode and that you've seen yourself how to use estimation in your own process. Moreover, if you'd like to learn more about prototyping with numbers or just in general about business skills relevant for designers, you can also join us in the upcoming DMBA program. Right now, we are still accepting applications for the next intake, which starts very soon on March 1st, 2021. You can find more information about the course on d.mba slash course, or you can also apply on d.mba slash apply. So that's all in this episode. Enjoy and talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.